house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. We don't have to talk, we can just eat. Okay. They're trying to get their lives back on track. This was fun, right? Yeah. You have a nice chin. Very lucky, bro. She's pretty woman. You're the man. What do you mean? You're the man. Okay. Three-time winner at the Sundance Film Festival. Yoo-hoo. I wanted to live near Joe. Guys, can you come up here and talk? Seriously, this sucks. <laughs> the Station Agent. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast with 600 different kinds of smiles, each one of them indicating we're probably still thinking about cats. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with the lady in her Jeep Cherokee repeatedly running me off the road, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joe. Here I am in my bucket hat. I knew you were going to mention that. I literally made that a note so early (laughs) in this movie. Mm -hmm. I was like, God bless the uh, temporal preciseness and perfectness of Sarah, uh, Sarah, of uh, Patricia Clarkson's bucket hat in this movie. It's so good. It's so perfect. The placement of paint all over her fingers because she's a painter and probably doesn't wash her hands, it appears. Yeah. Throughout the entire movie. Oh my god, we're going to be talking about Patricia Clarkson so much in this episode, and rightly so. It is, uh, to the best of my uh, telling, our first time talking about a Patricia Clarkson movie, which is wild and crazy because... uh, She's one of my favorite actresses, I feel like. I just she's one of those do you know how you have that like they're your favorite actresses and then there are the ones who you're like, Oh, I wanna like just have a coffee with this person and just like chat. And I feel like she's like in that perfect middle of that Venn diagram where it's just like, Oh, she's both. Like I exactly. I admire her so much and yet she seems like a really fun person to just sort of, you know, talk to. And She's always nice to see in interviews, too, because she just always seems, like, so authentically herself and funny and, like, just... It was such a, like, so good to have her back in, like, the ether when sharp objects happen. Because, like, you kind of forget. It feels like she went away for a while, and it's because during the aughts, like... This period that we're going to be talking about, 03 especially, it was just like she was everywhere. And then getting cast in a lot of, even if they weren't great roles for her, like she was always prominent in like prestige things like Good Night and Good Luck. Right. Um, So yeah, I think we need to have another Patty resurgence. I would love a uh, a Patty-sance for sure. Um, The Patricence? The Patricence, yes. Um, I... Her versatility is something that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough, where, like, she can project warmth so easily in a film. I think this is one of those kinds of movies that she does that, where it's just, like, her just sort of having an 
easy conversation with you projects so much warmth. And yet there are other roles, Sharp sharp Objects is one of them, where it's just like, oh, she's like, you would think like, oh, she was made to be this icy and this sort of terrifying. And Mm -hmm. her terrifying, whenever she's terrifying, it's never big. It's always like... It's that, or it's Maze Runner, or it's uh, uh, the Woods that uh, the the movie that made M Night Shyamalan have to change uh, the the village <laughs> the title of the, the title village, of the village. Um, which I watched for the first time this Halloween in my attempt to watch uh, scary movies over Halloween, and it's not a great movie, but like that's another one where it's just like oh she projects she's fearsome, but like never big never like in a big way. It's always very. Uh, controlled and suspicious and i kind of think that what it is is like she it's not just a versatility thing where she can just step into any different type of role but it's also that like she has such a screen presence that always feels like a completely composed person you know like you never really feel like you see a thinly drawn patricia clarkson performance even though like i'm sure we'll talk about her actual nomination for pieces of april yeah Yes, we definitely um, and, will. And, like, that character she's being tasked to play. But, like, she's always so formidable or inviting because, like, there's something just believable about her showing up on screen in any type of uh, right. characterization. Right. But and, and, and also, like, she's played characters who have been very flighty, and yet sometimes she plays characters who are very intelligent. Like, she just, she projects, she can project a lot of gravitas or sort of... Uh, you know, you you feel like you know a lot about a character of hers with very little uh, time spent with them. And yet, like, mm-hmm. that can go in a lot of different directions, which is very cool. Um, I wanted to sort of set the stage for this movie a little bit sort of emotionally. Because as I texted you last night when I was watching this, I was like, indies from about 2002 to 2006 are such a mood for me for, like, <laughs> various life reasons. This was sort of the period right after college for me i was sort of getting into the uh the movie blog ishness you know that sort of universe the oscar watch universe but also just sort of just like i was really kind of cultivating my uh my movie writerness and like it's very very earliest stages but i had also mm-hmm. had all this time because like my job situation was so uh, fledgling at that time. Uh, I had all this time to just sort of like go to the indie theater and see everything. And it's just station agent feels like the perfect uh, emblem of that. As I'm watching this, I was just like, Oh my God, like so much sense memory is kind of flooding into me for this. And I'm curious as to if you have any kind of, emotional attack did you see this in the theater like where were you sort of at uh when i did um uh, i mean like it, i was definitely there for like that period of my life being like activated as an oscar person yeah um and like independent cinema of the time especially if it was any near adjacent to the awards race right. but like this movie specifically i don't have an attachment to all of that like we've talked, we're talking about 2003, which we did a mini series of. Yes, almost we're finally, two years ago now. finally getting it, uh, getting the uh, the gumption to return to 2003. <laughs> we have to go back. We said, and uh, well, and this was this was a close runner up to the listeners' choice. Yes, for uh, that mini series too. So we're finally getting around to this one. Yeah. Um. After some time of <laughs> letting 2003 sit aside, but like 
I mentioned that because there was probably other movies from 2003 that I felt that more strongly, though I loved this movie at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um, To me, I feel like I was able to track this one from the beginning because it was such a big deal at Sundance, in as much as things are big deals at, at Sundance. Um, it was a big success there. It won three prizes at the 2003 Sundance Film Festival. Um, and so, and because I was following all of this stuff at the time, um, I think I was also like writing for this other little, like, like whatever, writing for free for the site where I was essentially just doing like movie news roundups, right? And mm-hmm. one of the things was Sundance. So I just remember like the station agent was a movie that I knew about uh, from that sort of early stage and it didn't end up opening uh, in any kind of like significant way in the States. I think it like played other festivals. I think it played TIFF that year, that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really open until December. So it's just like the whole year there was this anticipation. And of course I'm in Buffalo at the time. So opening limited for an indie in December means I'm still probably not seeing it until January at the earliest. So, um, there's just just years worth of anticipation of just like, I want to see this. People seem to really like it. And at the time, I knew who Tom McCarthy was because he was a character actor who was on Boston Public for a little while. I knew Patricia Clarkson because of um, uh, Far, Far From, from Heaven. Heaven probably. Far From Heaven. And also I had seen High Art by this point. Um, so... Uh, both of those things. And then the other only other person I really knew was Michelle Williams, who at this point is still Dawson's Creek's Michelle Williams, even though she had been mm-hmm. in Dick and H2O and these things. But like, by far, my biggest uh, uh, imprint for Michelle Williams was uh, Dawson's Creek. So Peter Dinklage was new to me. Bobby Cannavale was new to me. But like, all the reviews about it were really like selling me on it. It really sounded very cool. And even though I looked back and I watched the trailer, I don't know if you did this before we recorded. It's a really bad trailer. It's a very sort of like the last gasps of kind of cheesy chipper voiceover trailer for movies like this. I like mean, I- that's what my concept of like this brand of independent movie is until like maybe 2010. Oh, interesting. Like, that's what the kind of trailer that all this type of, like, low-key Where it's just like, got, he loves know? trains. She's a wacky artist. Like, that kind of thing. I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> he has a hot dog van. Well, and the other thing I was thinking of what, while I was watching this was th- so many indies of the time were like this, where it was like... um socially isolated person by either circumstance or choice or uh, tragedy or tragedy right well there's two sort of there this movie sort of occupies two lanes but one of them is the socially isolated person for whatever reason um is forced by some incident to sort of re-enter the world and interact with people usually uh against his wishes and uh and then that person sort of like slowly uh learns how to you know connect to people and that's you know that kind of thing often in a small town often amid you know quirky people or whatever and the other uh lane that i thought this was was just like Three broken people who find, you know, each other. And both of those things make this sound like it would be, like, the worst. And yet it's 
it's the absolute best case scenario for both of those things. But I was just like, there were so many indies like this at the time. I was thinking of like Ghost World is kind of like that from the Steve Buscemi character perspective, right? Where, you know, mm-hmm. he's this, you know, he doesn't really want to, you know, talk to people. And I thought American Splendor, which was another big hit at Sundance this year, is this year, sort yeah. of like that. Um, and I, I don't know. I just feel like there's a bajillion other examples in my head that I can't quite think of, but um, like that was the trend back then. That was the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Sundance of this year, maybe even before we get to the plot description, just to sort of like th- set the stage. This is such a huge Sundance. It's a year thing, okay. In terms of like things that. Thank you. Not just. Well, okay. So Sundance, like this is after the time of Sundance already having some type of like oscar thing i feel like the major one where it like changes to what it is now where things are even brought to sundance hopefully with that type of long-term projection is little miss sunshine but like it had happened before and like certainly things had broken through the consciousness obviously yes by 2003 that premiered at sundance however like this is a huge year for like movies that would either be contenders or like would have like good box office or like uh permeating critical success um in like the wider conscious than just like the independent film scene yeah it's uh station agent as i said won three prizes that year it won the audience award for dramatic filmmaking it won the waldo salt screenwriting award for tom mccarthy and then patricia clarkson won a special jury prize for acting for this and Pieces of April, and All the Real Girls, which were, like, her, like, god-tier indie trifecta that year, where it was just, like, <laughs> it's... And when she ended up winning Critics' Prizes later this year, which she did win a few, or was runner-up for a few also, um, it was it was the three of them together. And I think that was part of the reason why we end up with the Oscar nomination for Pieces of April instead of what it should have been for, which is The Station Agent. Um and that also had like category confusion, which we'll get into uh, yes. later on. Um, but I think it was like it was a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing because like she was such a story that year at Sundance. Oh my god, she's in three of these movies. She's great in all three of them. And you know Patricia Clarkson, Indie Queen, uh, two thousand three. But then and also it had already been primed the year before because she'd won some major critics prizes for um, Far From Heaven exactly. as well. And then yes, and then and sort of uh, is disappeared when it comes to the golden globe oscar portion of that year which was uh uh irksome i think for a lot of people but uh, other movies that, uh, at sundance this year the grand jury prize for dramatic filmmaking was american splendor which is another one that was in the awards conversation for a lot of this year hope davis i think was probably sixth seventh eighth in that probably in the voting that year for mm-hmm. supporting actress i would imagine she was another one who had kind of uh internal competition with herself from other movies and wasn't secret lives as dentists also this year or am i yes and i think there maybe was one more and then some things she was you know she got a lead prize for something um that combined all of her roles together 
Uh, the directing award that year went to Catherine Hardwick for 13. 13 was a huge uh, Sundance breakthrough this year. There was the whole story about, like, Nikki Reed is 14, and she co-wrote this, and then Evan Rachel Wood, who's on Once and Again, uh, sort of this, like, breakthrough and, you know, dangerous teens and whatever. Holly Hunter, obviously, when, or gets the Oscar nomination for that. And then Capturing the Freedmans was the big documentary uh, at Sundance that year, which also was, like, a documentary that, like, people talked about at a time when like i feel like we're a little more used to docs getting a lot of uh ink and a lot of conversation both be mostly because there's more ink and more conversation to be had nowadays um but at that well, time and there's more there's more avenues for people to see yes non-fiction filmmaking as yeah. well but like capturing Whereas, the freedmans like, was in a 2003 deal. it's fighting for screens yes but, like Capturing the Freedmen's also definitely permeated the consciousness. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find a list of everything. Okay, yeah, IMDb, I think, has everything that at least competed for uh, the jury prizes. And see if there's anything else. Die, Mommy, Die was that year. Oh my god, Camp was that year at Sundance. Camp was that year. My beloved Camp. The Cooler, which the goes cooler, on. The Cooler, which got um, Alec Baldwin his nomination. Maria Bello was probably also very, very close to a nomination. Yes, I think that's right. Um, Maria Bello, who at States that point... Leland, and uh, forgotten early Ryan Gosling is going oh, to be a movie star one day movie. And I'm pretty sure Michelle Williams was also in that. Um, early, uh, pre-Blue Valentine, uh, Ryan got... Or, no, yes, yes, right? Uh Yes. Ryan Gosling, Michelle Williams, both in the United States of Leland, both in uh, Blue Valentine. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Whale Rider was at this Sundance. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a ton of stuff. All the Real Girls was also, like, that was David Gordon Green. That was um, kind of a big, sort of like Zoe Deschanel breakthrough, I want to say, maybe. We knew who she mm-hmm. was from Almost Famous, but that was kind of a level up for Zoe Deschanel. It's funny that Pieces of April also being at this one, so, like... Uh, Katie Holmes and Michelle Williams were both repping the creek at uh, at Sundance <laughs> that year. Um, I'm just sort of scrolling through on IMDb and seeing if there's anything else that I am missing. But like, it was a definitely it was a it was a Sundance that got a lot of attention for a lot of indie filmmakers who would end up, you know, going on to or continuing to do big things, and it ended up being really represented at the Oscars in a lot of categories, partly because, as we've talked about endlessly in our 2003 episodes, a lot of the big things didn't hit uh, for Oscar buzz that year. Mm -hmm. So, But Station Agent definitely emerges as like one of the top two or three sort of headliner movies of that Sundance Film Festival. So there was, among film nerd indie people like I was at the time... Uh, it was hugely anticipated. That was probably going into that fa- fall. If you would ask me, like, what are the big movies you're really anticipating? I might be like, well, The Lord of the Rings and The Station Agent. Those are <laughs> the twin pillars of what I'm super looking Part forward of to. this, though, too, is that um, this is like the height of Miramax, and Miramax bought The Station Agent out of Sundance. It was their big Sundance buy. Yes. And Miramax, this is a real funny year for Miramax. Um they're they're coming off of this just spectacularly successful year in 2002 where they win for chicago and then they've got gangs of new york as a best picture nominee and they've got their piece of the hours which is also a best picture nominee and then we're going Mm -hmm. into 2003 and 
unbeknownst to anybody, including, I'm going to say, most of the people at Miramax, um, they have one of their big Oscar successes already uh, already taken care of, which is uh, City of God, which was a 2002 foreign language film contender. And then all of a sudden, nobody talks about it for like a year. And then here we are, uh, one year later, Sigourney Weaver's there uh, announcing some nominations for City of God and Best Director and Best uh, Screenplay, too, did it get? It got, I forget if it got a screenplay one. It got a lot of the craft categories. Um, I think it had like three or, or, some or four of the ones. three or four nominations total. Yes. Uh, director, cinematography, editing, writing. Yeah. So four Academy Award nominations for City of God, a film that everybody had forgotten about. Some pretty idiosyncratic um, uh, branches of the Academy, too, that, like, the director's branch is not very large. So you get a, you campaign to a small group of people who something might be their taste, and you can get an odd nomination like that. Right. But Miramax... And it paid off in multiple categories for this movie. Yes. Miramax's big guns that year were, we've talked about it plenty of times. We've talked about Cold Mountain so many times on this podcast. I feel like if you would ask somebody who's been listening to us for a very long time, they'd definitely be like, oh yeah, they've done a Cold Mountain episode because we've talked about it. Except we can't do a Cold Mountain quite a episode. Bit. Um, but that was um, their big contender. And then, mm-hmm. but they had a lot of smaller contenders too. I feel like I remember so many of these down to like the Magdalene sisters. I'm just like, oh yeah, that was a thing. Well, because we're the weirdos that would hound the like year long run up for the Miramax Awards site. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So Kill Bill Volume One was a big, big thing for them that year, and that even had awards. The offshoots because like Uma got the Golden Globe nomination, and there were a lot of people who were pushing for her to get a nomination for that they had uh the human stain famous disaster uh, covered by us here uh the human stain um uh, oh my god they did the battle of shaker heights the uh project green light season two movie uh the battle of shaker heights starring uh, oh yeah Shia was that season two project green light or season one no season one was the baseball one remember um uh, no, but that sounds exactly like the right thing for me to say to anything from Project Greenlight. <laughs> yeah, season two Project Greenlight was, as I think, the better season. Um, but it's the one where they did the screenwriting contest and the directing contest. So they picked the script. Um, and I can't remember. Uh, so I can probably just click on this and uh, look at it. Erica Beanie. Erica Beanie directed, or, uh, wrote the screenplay for Shaker Heights. And then uh, they selected the team of uh, directors from the from their like parallel competition. And then the big thing there was casting the main lead. And I remember the... Uh, the st- I think Miramax was really pushing for Emil Hirsch. And uh, the filmmakers wanted Shia LaBeouf, which I think is an interesting... <laughs> A parallel, uh, oh boy. parallel pass. I know, I know, right? Um, interesting, very interesting. As, as as with everything on Project Greenlight, you watch that, and part of you is so fascinated, and part of you is just like burn this entire industry down. <laughs> um, they also had Stephen Frears's D- Dirty Pretty Things that year. They had, uh, um, oh god. The Barbarian Invasions, which actually got a uh, foreign language film nomination and did really well. So, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of competition. Even though I would say, in terms of their priorities that year, Station H, it's probably top five 
in their priorities. But like that's a lot of competing interests to go around. We'll get into uh, uh, just kind of the scatteredness of Miramax that year and also the campaign for this one. Yeah, but first I'm going to make you uh, describe the plot of The Station Agent, which I don't think is going to be too hard. It's, you know, a decently (laughs) simple story. But I don't know. I don't want to jinx you ahead of time. So we are talking uh, on this fine day about The Station Agent, written and directed by Tom McCarthy, his his debut film, which, heck of a debut, uh, starring Peter Dinklage, Bobby Cannavale, Patricia Clarkson, Michelle Williams, Raven Goodwin, adorable Raven Goodwin. We'll get into it. Um, also, I don't think I wrote this down, but John Slattery is in this. It's our third John Slattery uh, film. Lynn Cohen shows up for a couple scenes. Richard Kind shows the up icon for a Lynn scene. Cohen, may she rest in peace. Yep. Uh, Paul Benjamin, uh, the late Paul Benjamin, is in a couple early scenes as uh, Peter Dinklage's friend who uh dies very early on in this movie but that is plot and i don't want to step on your toes so this premiered january 26 2003 at the sundance film festival and then opened in theaters limited on december 5th 2003 chris i'm gonna retrieve my little uh timer give me a second i'm gonna put on my good luck bucket hat and uh we'll see how it goes all right i am ready when you are are you ready i am and go. Okay, uh, Peter Dinklage stars as Finn. He is a train enthusiast. He inherits a train station in rural New Jersey after his like only friend and, I guess, business partner um, dies and leaves it to him. Uh, quickly, he meets Joe, who runs his dad's like uh, food truck, basically, that they only have hot dogs, coffee, and muffins. That's my entire diet. Um, also, uh, he meets Olivia, who's a painter who's grieving the death of her son. She almost runs him off. She almost hits him with her car twice. They quickly become this, like, kind of uh, 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 small ragtag group of friends, much to Finn's uh, 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 consternation. He is a very introverted person. Anyway, they kind of splinter off because Finn um, uh, doesn't like people, uh, because they are bad to him. And uh, Olivia is still grieving uh, her uh, child. But then they all uh, reconcile after everybody ends up getting drunk and Olivia has a suicide attempt. And time. Very good. It's a very short movie. It's 90 minutes. It's more about, like, the vibe. It's such a vibe movie. Which isn't to say that, like, it doesn't follow along a pretty linear, you know, plot. But, yeah. This is why I think Tom McCarthy is a good director, though. Because it is pretty... Like, this movie could just as easily be annoying and cheap as it is really good, like it is. Um, Because, like, it's pretty thin. You know just by the concept exactly what the story beats are going to be. Yeah. You know that they're going to be friends. You know that eventually Finn is going to splinter off because, like... He's because the world is always like, yeah, yeah, like everybody's bad to him because everybody ogles him and like treats him poorly because of his size. Um, and like uh, Olivia is kind of the mystery through the whole thing because you don't know the full details. Turns out that like her husband had left her and is having another baby with someone else. Um, and like that's her, um, whole like internal trauma that like even though she's you know, one of the more outspoken in this small group, there's, like, she still doesn't reveal all of her truth, whatever. Yes. And then there's other small things, like the Michelle Williams character, who's a librarian, that, like, becomes this, like, 
love relationship for Finn. You mentioned Raven Goodwin, who is this younger girl in town who also likes trains and, like, yeah. Ra- makes Finn become less prickly, I guess. Raven Goodwin, who was, like, having a bomb two years, where, like, in 2002, she's in Lovely and Amazing, gets to, you know, be in a Nicole Holofcener movie with Catherine Keener and, you know, Brenda Bleffen and and Emily Mortimer and whatnot. And then she's in this movie, which I also uh, deeply adore. And then the only other major role of note that I have for Raven Goodwin in my head is she was on the 30 Rock episode where Oprah was on, where Tina Fey gets high on the airplane and thinks her seatmate is Oprah. I'm gonna call you back. I'm sitting next to Borpo. But it's actually uh, this girl named Pam, and Raven Goodwin is Pam. Um, And then the rest of the episode, she's just She's this very sort of like Oprah Jr. esque uh, personality. She's very fun in that. So, yeah, it's I was as you were sort of describing the the perils of what a movie like this could have been. I was like, that was kind of the Tom McCarthy magic trick for this sort of mm-hmm. early stage of his career, where it was this, and then The Visitor in two thousand eight, and then Win Win in twenty eleven, and I think all of those movies where you're just like, oh, this could have turned out really badly. This could have been cloying or obvious. All the way to uh, his best picture win with Spotlight. Oh, yeah, totally. But All of his movies are, like, really well-liked. They are straightforward concepts, and they could just as easily push any of its story elements too hard, and they're not half as good. They're all really Um, well-balanced. He's incredibly good with performances from his actors like he gets fantastic performances from his actors but there's also just like a just a kernel of wonderful humanity in his movies that really just like is able to like get cultivated throughout this just like there's just a like a warmth and a loveliness at the core of this movie and at the visitor and the win-win especially and spotlight is a lot more sort of like processy than that but even that has these moments of that rachel mcadams scene that everybody sort of talks about with her and michael cyril creighton which is so just like there's i think something similar in that too where it's just like this like kernel of um just like wonderful decency in there. Mm-hmm. And it always feels like a backhanded compliment where you're just like, there's decency in this film, but like, it's a but rare thing. it's not thing. a backhanded compliment because it is pretty rare to see something like this. And it's like, especially rare to see movies that get the balance of this type of thing. Right. Because like, we don't like, I don't know about you. I am a little uh, stretched thin on movies that are like, this is the end of the world. Yeah. This is like, I mean, like, and I can go for some heavy stuff, but like this, there's something to, and like even describing what's good about Tom McCarthy movies sometimes makes it sound a little trite, but there's something to everyday people in whatever their circumstances is that he knows the exact level of like human drama that can also be very watchable, very interesting. Like, yeah, it's kind of even like all of these characters, like the Bobby Cannavale character could very easily be like the annoying outspoken over extroverted, uh, Yes. person such as i am um <laughs> the bobby cannavale character is kind of a miracle and i and it's it's half credit to mccarthy and half credit to cannavale himself but they it's a perfect depiction of somebody who's um 
aggressive friendliness can be so threatening to a certain type of person, and I may be that yes. type of person, where it's just like, if I'm not really looking for this, like, you're, it can be, um, just terrifying. It's just like, why mm-hmm. are you so friendly? Why are you, do- why are you being so aggressively friendly? And yet, Cannavale plays it, never overplays it. So he doesn't ever get to a point where you're just like, I wish this guy would go away. You like, you sympathize mm-hmm. with Finn for being, uh, like reticent to this person's, uh, friendliness. And yet, it's still charming and it's still uh the good naturedness of it at the center of it really like prevents you from ever just being like i wish he would shut up and go away and i'm so much inclined towards wanting characters of this type to shut up and go away and it just it never happens with Connavale because he's and he's a he's an actor who i like but can sometimes overdo it for me and he's perfect in this he's absolutely perfect in this i think Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of that speaks to like McCarthy's strengths of like, regardless of the person that he's presenting us with, we're always kind of curious to get to know more about them. Even like Lynn Cohen, who, by the way, is billed as Patty at the Good to Go. <laughs> she is like a gas station attendant, right? So uh, yeah, she's at the Mini Mart. Yeah. Patty at the Good to Go. Um, Want to know more about her, even though like she like full on objectifies Finn and like takes his picture. Oh, yes. But like hate crime with an instamatic. So you're in like, that okay, first... what's that lady's what's her story? Yes. I've never seen anybody hate crimed with an instamatic before, and yet there we were. Um this place is this movie is really great with locations, I think. Like that's mm-hmm. a like the actual like location of this little patch of train station that that Finn occupies in this movie is just like the just the look of it is amazing the the remoteness of it and yet like you the fact that it's so remote and then like right up to the edges of it comes uh Bobby Cannavale uh Joe with his little uh food truck and uh, uh Patricia Clarkson's character's house on the water it's just like this like fascinating mm-hmm. i just wanted to spend so much time in these locations. And then you've got like the little like small town. Uh, I like also, by the way, that this town is Newfoundland, uh, uh, New Jersey, um, where it's just like, oh, and even like, even just in the name of it, it feels like something farther away than it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the little small town, like library and Michelle Williams, I think is so wonderful in this movie in such a like small little role. And, it just, it feels, we say, like, you know, something feels lived in. But this does in a way that, like, I also want to live in it. Like, that's, that's... And it's not precious about its no. authenticity in the way that so many other movies right. like it's it. It's not or quirky. Or on paper or like it. It's not quirky. You know? It's not silly. It's not, you know, whatever. Like, there's the, the there's appealed paint aesthetic to it, but it's not, it doesn't overdo it. I think you're totally right. Um, to the point where, like, I think almost, like, it it feels like it could be on paper towing a dangerous line with Peter Dinklage's character. Because, like, is it going to itself, like, fetishize this little person and other him? Right. And it doesn't, though I do kind of feel like the movie was maybe treated like it was quirky because of it. And it was, like, the type of story that we hadn't seen before. So, like... right. I do think there was something to the reception that was a little othering. Though. Right. 
And you wanted Even to be at the like, time I caught. yeah, you wanted to be like a movie about a dwarf isn't in and of itself quirky for that reason. Like that doesn't make mm-hmm. it quirky. It's still just like it's a really rather you know sort of uh, simply told story. I also I'm such a sucker for movies where the end goal is friendship. Is just like the fact that like these three people uh, find each other and then just like. There are there are ro- certainly romantic overtones in certain things. You get the sense that like Joe has a crush on um I keep forgetting Clarkson's character's name in this. Olivia. Olivia, yes. Joe has a crush on Olivia. Olivia and Finn have the scene where like she kisses him. Um but it's very sort of just like it's sweet and there's there's a, there's ambiguity to it. And Olivia is not really looking for any of that she's recovering from the end of her marriage and the death of a child and whatever but like and then finn and michelle williams definitely do have a romantic subplot but that does feel like a subplot and at the center it's just like it's just this friendship that develops between these three people where like just the scenes of the three of them just hanging out at her house sitting on the deck and looking at the water or smoking cigarettes after watching uh, the train movie that they made or just making dinner together, that kind of a thing. And I'm just like, I'm a simple person y'all. And like, that is (laughs) porn to me. Weirdly. I was just like, Oh my God, this is just like, and again, especially after a year like this, I'm just like, Oh my God, the absolute ecstatic, indulgent joy of just like being in a room with friends doing nothing it's beautiful to me just like it's uh i just i had such a time watching this again for like so many different reasons i love this movie so much um let's let's delve into patricia clarkson for a second i think of the as i mentioned of the main characters of the main actors in this movie she was the one who i had a previous uh, relationship to. I didn't know Cannavale at all. I don't think I had ever seen Peter Dinklage in anything. And he's another actor, interestingly. Like, for all of these years of Game of Thrones, where he was never my favorite performance on Game of Thrones, I could never get past how bad that accent was. And nobody <laughs> talked about it. And he kept winning <laughs> Emmys. And I'm just like, but he sounds ridiculous. And but whatever. I'm well on the record as not being a Game of Thrones person. Right, right, right. Um, but like, I go back and I watch this movie and I'm just like, he's so good in this. He's astoundingly good in this. Um, but Clarkson's career, I think, is really fascinating because she had been around for a very long time. Her, her first sort of movie role of note, perhaps maybe her first feature film ever, but like a first one of note, she plays Elliot Ness's wife in The Untouchables, which you wouldn't think like it would go back uh, that far because she's such a, you know, early 2000s kind of a, kind of a creature. But uh, it's not, it's again, it's just like she's the wife sort of, you know, concerned, uh, lying in bed, waiting for Elliot Ness to come home uh, in The Untouchables. She's in a Dirty Harry movie called The Deadpool. She's yeah. um, in a Taylor Hackford movie called Everybody's All-American. It was about a college football player. She's in Jumanji very briefly. I think she's... As the mom. She's the mom. 
right in jumanji alan Parrish's mom yes she's in playing by heart a film i've still never seen even though i'm fascinated by it we've got to do this is why when patty clarkson had her like emergence i knew her from these weird small roles like uh alan Parrish's mom she is we'll eventually do playing by heart when we really want to do a, a, a deep cut but like Dennis Quaid is going on these, like, basically acting challenges to different bars and, like, selling uh, different, like, strangers on, like, a tragic backstory. And she is one of them. And she's fantastic. She is, um, she's a bottle of white wine in that movie. Oh, my God. And then I also remembered her from The Green Mile. Yeah, The Green Mile. She's the, um, she's somebody's wife who is dying, right? And they bring Michael Clark Duncan to her and he heals her. Yes, the, like, prison, um, like, whoever the head of the prison. She's his dying wife. Right, right. And John Coffey heals She's James, Cro- James Cromwell's wife, I think, right? Sure. Yes. Um, and, yes, and then John Coffey uh, heals her in that. And But I think the big one in terms of the prep for this role is, in 1998, she's in Lisa Choladenko's High Art, which was a sort of a big indie movie not in terms of uh the wider world or whatever but i feel like that was a really big kind of splash for Cholodenko. it was a big comeback role for ali sheedy ali sheedy very memorably at least to me wins the independent spirit award that year for uh female lead and then gives this just like really ecstatic um a speech where she's just like as i recall it and i can't find it on youtube which is a crime like uh film independent get your shit together and find that clip in your archive and put it up on your website already please um where i in my memory she's like maybe half drunk but she's so thrilled and she's just like screaming about like what are you know what a great thing this is that she's because like she's you know her career was kind of forgotten at that point um, and then, so Clarkson in that movie, the plot of High Art is Rada Mitchell is this sort of just like uh, naive, you know, ingenue in the art world. And she ends up getting, uh, having this sort of like sexual awakening with her relationship with Ali Sheedy's character. And this was sort of when, uh, even in indies, just like uh, a lesbian movie was very sort of just like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, very kind of exotic. The original Harold, they're lesbian. Right. <laughs> yeah, kind of. We're, paired with... The, Perhaps not the original, but one of them. Right. Paired with the sort of like the tail end of the heroin chic uh, Kate Moss uh, uh, aesthetic uh, in like fashion adjacent things. And Clarkson plays Ali Sheedy's uh, German ex-girlfriend who's also a heroin addict in this and she's just uh delicious in this she's spiteful she's um she's a little mean she's really entertaining though you really kind of can't take your eyes off of her when she's on screen and then so she ends up getting a nomination for the spirit award that year and i think is like a runner-up at a couple uh critics prizes that year even and so Mm -hmm. I think that was then the thing that kind of launched her into the 2000s, where she ends up being just like, everybody's casting her in indies. She's in Joe Gould's Secret. She's in The Pledge. She's in The Safety of Objects. Um, Meanwhile, she's also having a major role on Frasier. Right, right. She's one of his uh, recurring girlfriends on Frasier. Yeah. 
That's a very top good tier Fraser girlfriend. Who are the top tier Fraser girlfriends? It's her, Laura Linney, and then like, I guess. I mean, Lilith, I guess BB Newell, Lilith coming back every of. once in a while, right? Yeah, those are your. That's your top tier ex-wife. You know, right? And then in two thousand two, as you mentioned, she's in Far From Heaven as the sort of acidic neighbor, judgy. Um, every time Julianne Moore sort of transgresses in that movie, it feels like Patricia Clarkson is hovering on the well, periphery. she spends the movie judging a lot of other people, but also, it's a tough role because she's also fooling the audience into thinking there is a part of her that is progressive because, like, she's the one openly talking about sex and blah, 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 blah. But then when she finds out about... Not even this affair, but that Julianne Moore's character um, has been spotted with Dennis Haysbert's character. That's when she shuts her out. Yes. Um, yeah. So, like, she has to basically present a whole type of faux liberal. Yes. Um, it's a really, really great brilliant. performance. Really brilliant performance. She ends up. What are the critics' prizes? She ends up winning for that. It's um, uh, National Society because she wins again this year. She won two years in a row with National Society of Film Critics, and she won in New York for right. Far From Heaven. Wasn't that the year that like everything for Far From Heaven won in New York? It wins film, director, everything but Julianne Moore. That's what it was. That was the, the kind of wild thing about the New York Film Critics Circle that year, was Far From Heaven wins film, director, supporting actress, supporting actor, and cinematography. And then Julianne Moore loses out to Diane Lane. In unfaithful, yeah, um, which is uh, which is kind of wild and cool and interesting. Um, and then, so Patricia Clarkson's two thousand three. We mentioned the three movies that were at Sundance, which is the Station Agent, All the Real Girls, where she plays Paul Schneider's mother. Mother, right? Okay, yes. I didn't want to unnecessarily age her in that movie. She still seems like very young to be playing his mother, but whatever. Um, Paul Schneider's mother in that movie. I I mostly remember. Her in a bunny costume in that movie, right? Doesn't she like do like? There's something I don't remember much of that movie. It's a really sweet movie. I haven't seen it in a billion years. Oh no, she works as a clown, right? She cheers up. uh, She cheers up children at the hospital, and so she dresses up as a clown, not a bunny, but a clown. I may be thinking of Bette Midler in Beaches dressing up as a bunny. As a you may be thinking of when Patricia Clarkson was in The House Bunny too. Right, right, and also when she's she is Frank the Bunny and uh, Donnie Darko is also what I'm mm-hmm. thinking of. Yes. Um. Uh. So yes, <laughs> the station agent, all the real girls, pieces of April, which we'll get to in a second, and then, but also that's the year that Dogville plays Can. Mm-hmm. And comes out in the U.S. the year the after. year after, but worth noting that like that's still kind of asterisky part of her 2003. She, I think I've mentioned this probably before on this podcast. I find her so terrifying in Dogville. Like of all the terrifying things in Dogville, Patricia Clarkson's fury at her Hummel figurines being damaged in Dogville scares the fucking shit out of me. Every single time. She's just like, I can't imagine her turning on me in that way. And um, we talked a little bit about Dogville uh, in the Von Trier episode. But um, where are you on that movie, just in terms of... I haven't seen it in a long time. Oh, I've kind do. of uh, avoided Lars Von Trier movies for a minute, aside from us doing uh, 
Melancholia for all the reasons you can hear in our Melancholia episode. <laughs> yes. But I'm uh, eager to revisit some of them that I haven't seen in a while. Yeah. Like Dogville. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I think Clarkson's career since 2003, since her Oscar nomination, she hasn't gotten another one, which is too bad. She's, but like, she keeps showing up in small roles and things and being awesome. I'm thinking of, like, even briefly in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, she's fantastic. Obviously, something like Easy A, she freaking rules. Um, she's a cave lady in Shutter Island, which, like, who doesn't want to be a cave lady <laughs> in Shutter Island in, like, a like a sad little uh, uh, dress in that film? Um, Nobody talks about this movie, but she and everyone else in it um, is great in Ira Sachs' Married Life. Oh, which I've still never seen. It's a really good Chris Cooper performance as well. Yeah. Um, I also need to catch up to Cairo Time, which is a performance that a lot of critics really loved her in. Yeah, that's the um, sort of other uh, parallel track to... It's small roles in sort of like movies that people see, and then lead roles in movies that don't get seen very much. Like Cairo Time, like Elegy, like um, Learning to Drive, the other uh, Isabel Quache movie. Quache? Mm-hmm. Uh, um that movie october gale i'm thinking of a lot of movies that just sort of like played tiff and then nobody ever really saw them again and of course uh memorably bonkers memorably to me only because nobody ever saw it was out of blue at tiff uh in 20 you guys want to watch a wild movie watch out of blue i'm pretty sure it's on hulu right now yeah jackie weaver goes like full crazy on a set of chicken wings in that movie (laughs) there's some real metaphors about stars also in that film patricia clarkson stares into people's hands and says this is made of stars right yes yeah definitely worth watching for the cuckoo bananas-ness of it all um i mean she's another performer too that like after we've talked about people like this where after their oscar nomination they become like their big roles become TV ones. She also did Six Feet Under um, and most famously recently Sharp Objects, where she is also terrifying and incredible. Yep. Uh, Six Feet Under, she's recurring on that show. She's uh, Frances Conroy's uh, artsy sister. She's sort of <laughs> the through line for so much of that is like Frances Conroy resents her for being the kind of fun one, the sort of like wild child. And she's the one who Lauren Ambrose. Uh, gravitates to because she's also sort of artistic and irresponsible and that kind of thing. Um, I fucking loved her on Six Feet Under. I thought she was really amazing. She weirdly never won a guest actress Emmy for that show, even though she deserved uh, uh, many times over. She was also on, as I mentioned before we started recording this, House of Cards because, of course, she was. Like, she's exactly I the kind well of... I think well past we were watching House of Cards was the thing. Oh, I mean, almost everything on House of Cards is well past when I was watching because I only watched the first season. I think I watched the beginning of the second season when uh, Kate Mara gets shoved in front of a subway train and then I was just like, well, that's... Not even that, like, I used to have she was the, the character for I me. Need, but... I need it back in my life of uh Vela Lovell and the Big Sick talking about X-Files saying it's a bad show. <laughs> I need that for to talk about House of Cards. Vela Lovell in that a film is so fucking fantastic. Um I like the the number of actresses I love who got sort of caught up in the House of Cards thing. I just need to sort of like list them out so everybody can like obviously everybody knows Robin Wright and whatever and Kate Mara, but like 
Uh, Best performance on House of Cards was Molly Parker. I was going to say, Molly Parker was on that show. Sakina Jaffrey, I love, was on that show. Constance Zimmer was on that show. Um, Rachel Brosnahan, Molly Parker, as you mentioned. Jane Atkinson. Nev Campbell. Elizabeth Marvel. Kim Dickens. Nev Campbell. Patricia Clarkson. Diane Lane. Like... Um, not an actress, but Cody Fern, who I love from the American Horror Story series. Um, just people forget even Mahershala Lee was on that show. Oh yeah, like that—that was—that was the seasons that I watched. Uh, he was definitely a big part of that show. Like for a show that I very quickly kind of just tuned out of, and even in that first season when everybody flipped for it, I was just like, "It's good. It's watchable." But. Um, I don't know, whatever. Uh, just like absolutely a vortex of actresses I love. Um, but yeah, Clarkson's TV stuff ends up becoming a lot more, as you say, sort of prominent. I also think of her, she was only on Parks and Recreation twice as Tammy Wan, uh, the the first ex-wife of uh, Ron Swanson, of Nick Offerman's Ron Swanson. But just like, she was one, of, it was one of those casting things where they referred to that character so many times that you thought maybe she was going to be the Maris or the Vera of that show and just like never show up. And then she ends up showing up and just the fact of her being played by Patricia Clarkson was funny. Like just the fact of like, this is this person mm-hmm. everybody's so afraid of for so many times. And it's just like, Oh yeah. Like that tracks that fully tracks. She was also Margaret White in the TV movie version of Carrie, the one Terrible. with Angela Bettis uh, as as Carrie White. They tried to make Carrie again so many times, but like it was like an it was just NBC, right? I don't even think it was cable. I think it was just like I think it was TNT. Oh, was it? Okay, pretty sure. And like uh, I don't think we've mentioned it. She's the primary villain in the Maze Runner movies, right? Oh yeah, she uh, she scorched those trials, but good uh, in the Maze Runner movies. Yes, uh, the two days of quarantine where I was like, you know what, I'm gonna watch the Maze Runner movies. Why not? And then promptly didn't watch any Maze Runner movies. One of my maybe I should get back into that. One of the biggest trends in actressing of the 2010s is um, amazing A list god tier actresses being cast as bureaucratic villains in uh in dystopian movies where i feel mm-hmm. like patricia clarkson in this and kate winslet in uh, divergent are the one and one julianne moore in the hunger games Ju- also divergent had naomi watts yep. octavia spencer yep. um yep. someone else it's a lot of stuff Boy. I, well divergent also had ashley judd but she was like the saintly mother in that so there was that ah uh, yes but yeah so this is still, the station agent, is still probably my favorite Patricia Clarkson performance in terms of the one I'm sort of most fond of. It is the one I think she should have won an Oscar for. I think she was the best that year. She gets you nominated. You think she's a supporting performance? Yeah, I think it's I think it's borderline, but I think it's enough that I would... I think Peter Dinklage is the lead of this movie and everybody else is a supporting character. Is how I would say. Wow. Silent No, it's fine. Silent fine. judgment and disagreement. You and the Screen Actors Guild can uh can take it to court as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I I definitely think she's probably a lead of this movie. Okay. Um I also think the fact that she had been getting supporting prizes throughout the year for the multiple roles is also excuse enough for me to just put her in supporting and uh 
but regardless, it's an Oscar, it's an Oscar worthy performance. But so let's let's get into the SAG SAG Awards that year. She gets two nominations, one for the station agent in lead, one for pieces of April in supporting. I guess it makes sense to me that pieces of April is the one she gets the Oscar nomination for because that's the most solidly non-ambiguously supporting one. And, and it's also the flashiest too. Like at this point, I don't think any major industry group was going to probably even watch all the real girls. Right. Yes. Because that one was so small, Yes, but I think pieces of April like that's a movie that a lot of people hate, and it I does am... also have its like fans as just like a Ugh. comfort movie where they watch it at Thanksgiving. It's bad. It's very bad. I haven't watched it long enough to know or to really remember anything other than it looks like shit, garbage, shit. because it's that early digital video style of filmmaking that it's just like yeah. I could have made that with a camcorder. Um, looks like shit. But it's also, it's the flashier role. She gets to, like, kind of... She has cancer. She has a wig. It's a very... Yeah. She's not bad. It's not a bad performance. She gets to monologue, whereas this the station agent is a much more subtle thing. Yeah. I, on that level, yes, I get it. I still have trouble getting past the fact that the Oscar voters saw this terrible, ugly movie. And... Her performance is good, but not that good that I would watch that movie and be like, well, this movie is bad, but she's great. Um, And it annoys me that clearly, like, the station agent isn't going to be, like, uh, at the top, maybe, of your screener pile, but it had gotten so much attention throughout that year that I'm just like, it it just infuriated me that that they wouldn't just like put the station agent in and like they've fudged lead supporting stuff before it's fine like this is the year that they you know well they didn't actually they almost uh this is why sag uh freaks me out is they get so you know uh uh correct and exact about you know we're gonna put Patricia clarkson in lead and then we're just gonna put keisha castle hughes and whale rider in supporting because whatever and it's just like you dumbasses like she's the <laughs> only lead character in that See, movie here's what i think here's what i think because we've obviously we went on it at length about this um <laughs> twice because we also did a naomi watts uh yes, miniseries yes, and uh we we covered a 2003 movie yes. for her yeah. um uh, with the divorce, um, there's obviously room in that best actress year. I mean, a lot of people I think benchmarked a spot for Nicole Kidman in Cold Mountain when she's like the least interesting performance in that movie, and that was also one of the other Miramax movies. However, like would be totally feasible to look back at this year and you're like, oh, Patricia Clarkson could have been a double nominee. Um, it's possible. I don't understand Miramax not planting the flag in their campaign that Patricia Clarkson is a lead in this movie when she's also clearly a supporting character for pieces of April. Um, yeah. More clearly. And like, because that's the bigger performance, probably the one more likely to get nominated yeah. um, in supporting. But like, 
Well, here's you look at her performance in the station agent against what she was up against in lead actress, which is a lot more like loud performances, for lack of a better word, and yeah. not to sound condescending. And she could have stood out there. Yeah. What's especially wild to me when I look at this SAG lineup is because Miramax was so big on Cold Mountain and so sort of aggressively pushing that as their major contender that season. The fact that at the SAG Awards, Patricia Clarkson gets nominated and Nicole Kidman doesn't. And then the station agent gets nominated in uh, Outstanding Ensemble cast and Cold Mountain with its 8 billion actors, so many of whom have Oscar pedigrees, uh, doesn't get nominated as uh, in there at all is extra special crazy and like kind of amazing to me that uh i mean it's kind of a sign that miramax should have pushed the station agent harder than they were pushing their other movies and Um, also and it's kind of surprising that they didn't because like they have this year-long run-up of this being a beloved movie with like festival audiences and with critics that I guess I uh, that's just kind of a reminder because it feels like the obvious thing, the thing to like react to what people actually care about yeah. um, is to start pushing the station agent more. But like, I think that's just a reminder of how in the tank they were for cold mountain. Yeah. Um, I also should mention that Dinklage got a best actor nomination at SAG instead of Jude law. So truly like the station agent ate cold mountains lunch that year at SAG. And we, we stand uh, we stand a legend, and that legend is the station agent. <laughs> but so while we're on the subject of SAG and the station agent being one of those great uh, surprise ensemble cast nominations that doesn't unfortunately go on to a Best Picture nomination, I created a little game for you. I, I want to do another round of Alter Egos, my beloved, uh, our beloved Alter Egos game, where... I will give you the names of three characters from movies, and then you will name me the film that all three of those actors were in together. The an- And it was a SAG-nominated movie. All of the answers for this round will be Sa- uh, SAG Ensemble nominees that did not go on to Best Picture nominations. Okay. So... Uh, some of them are, are easy. Some of them are harder. I will, we'll see how long it goes. If it takes us a while, I'll maybe lop some of these off. But, um, the very first one is very easy. And I just want you to let me get all the names out. Let me, in general, let me get all the names out before you guess. Um, I have a feeling you're going to be very good at this one because, uh, it's a very set, uh, closed set of uh, options. All right. To begin, your three characters are... Foxy Cleopatra, Ricardo Tubbs, and Grizabella the Glamour Cat. <laughs> that is Dream Girls. Thank you. Walk us through it. Uh, well, Foxy Cleopatra is obviously Beyonce in Gold Member. Uh, Grizabella is Jennifer Hudson and Cats. Uh, what was the middle one? I knew it right away. So Ricardo Tubbs. Uh, Ricardo Tubbs is. Is that a Jamie Foxx character in something? Yeah, Crockett and Tubbs of uh, of Miami Vice fame. Ah, uh, yes. A movie I still have not seen. Yeah. Despite the heterosexuals of the internet demanding <laughs> that I do so. Demanding that you do so. Okay, next one. Henry Jekyll, John Connor, Lance Armstrong. 
Uh, well, John Connor's a um. That is a Terminator movie. Lance Armstrong, I'm just going to guess, is Ryan Gosling in First Man. Henry Jekyll, um, that's got to be... So a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde movie. I was thinking of Victor Frankenstein for a second with Daniel Radcliffe. (laughs) I will say, Uh, rethink uh, Lance Armstrong for a second. Oh, okay, so it's not Gosling. Um... What's another movie with Lance Armstrong? You're th- who do you think Lance Armstrong is? Oh, is that not the person that he played in First Man? No, that's Neil Armstrong. Never mind. That's great. I know American history <laughs> and sports. Uh, Lance Armstrong. Uh, thank you, listeners, for laughing at, laughing at me. Uh, that's Ben Foster. Yes. Is it 310 to Yuma? It is. Yes, because Russell Crowe is in The Mummy yep. as Henry Jekyll. Yep, yep. <laughs> Want to take a stab at who John Connor is? Uh, Christian Bale. Yes, Terminator Salvation. In Yeah, that horrible movie. Yes, exactly. All right, very good. Very well worked out. Next one, Mickey Ward, Margaret White, and Bandit. Bandit? Uh well Margaret White I know that um that's 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 uh, uh, uh that's the mother from Carrie so it's either uh Julianne Moore Patricia Clarkson or um oh fuck why is her name escaping me um from the original Carrie right Piper Laurie it's not I will Piper, uh, yeah right. uh, I knew I, yeah yes. yeah sorry. Um, but yes, okay. I, I, some of these will be television, so there is a chance that this could be Patricia Clarkson. Oh, okay. So Bandit is Smokey and the Bandit. Right. So you're 50-50 as to who it is. Is this Boogie Nights? It is. And that is Burt Reynolds. There we are. All right. So First one's got to be Mark Wahlberg. Yes. What is, who does, in what movie does Mark Wahlberg, Wahlberg play somebody named Mickey Ward? Oh, duh, the fighter. The fighter. Yes. All right. Well done. Well done. Uh, All right. Next one. Abraham Van Helsing, Pamela Landy, and John McCain. Okay. So John McCain is Christian Bale or Richard Dreyfuss. Um, You're thinking of the wrong person again. God damn it. Um, You're getting your uh, bald-headed Republicans uh, mixed up. It's Ed Harris. It's Ed Harris. Yes. Yes. Listen, I am scrubbing all <laughs> names of Republicans off of my brain this year. Uh, I don't want to know who we're f- we're forgetting anymore. Republicans in 2021. I know. I don't uh, listen. Famous men of history. I don't know, but I do know who <laughs> Margaret White is. Yes, um, you do. What was the first name again? Abraham Van Helsing. Oh, that is uh, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, is this Nixon? It's Nixon. Yes. Abraham Van Helsing, Anthony Hopkins in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. John McCain. One of the finest films ever made. Ed Harris in Game Change. Any idea who Pamela Landy is? Uh, Pamela Landy is Joan Allen in The Contender. No, you're very close. It's Joan Allen in the Bourne movies. Ah. All right. Next one. Lindy Chamberlain, Sybil Stone, and Arnie Grape. Uh, Sybil Stone is Diane Keaton in The Family Stone. Yes. What was the first name again? Lindy Chamberlain. 
Lindy Chamberlain. Boy. Is this Marvin's room? Yes. Do you want to say why? Uh, because that's the only thing I can think of with Diane Keaton in an ensemble. <laughs> See, I knew you would be able to guess some of these just from one person. Okay. Um, Lindy Chamberlain is a real person, a very infamous That is uh, Dingo Ate My Baby. Yes, it is. It's a cry in the dark. Mar- Meryl Streep. The Dingo Took My Baby! And then Arnie Grape. Uh, that is What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Yes, Leonardo DiCaprio in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Okay, next one. I think this one is will be easy for you. Uh, Barbara Minerva, Jackie Q, and Shannon Mullins. Oh, I don't know if this is going to be easy for me. Okay. Um, Barbara what? Minerva. Mm. Barbara Minerva, Shirley Q. Jackie Q. Jackie Q. Uh, that's got to be like an Edgar Wright movie or something. Not Edgar Wright. But like that, right? Like it's an action movie. No. Or vi- it's something violent that boys like. No. Well. Damn. No. I'm going to say no. Definitely not violent. And this character is definitely not pitched to boys. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to give you a clue. Barbara Minerva. Yeah, think recent. Barbara Minerva is a recent character, or this yes. movie is recent? No, this character, Barbara Minerva, is recent. Like, is that like an Ocean's 8 character? More recent. Even more recent. Oh, yeah. Um, Real recent. Oh, like 2020? Yeah. And like, r- like recent to us in 2020. Oh, so it's a late year... Yeah. Release. Almost as late as you could get. So like Christmas. Right. Christmas movies were... Oh! Okay, so this is... Wait, it can't be Wonder Woman. Oh, it's Bridesmaids. It is. Walk us through it. Barbara Minerva is Kristen Wiig in... uh, The... Uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Wonder Woman Monkey Paw. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Wonder Woman um, Wonder Woman of the Vanities. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember Jackie Q now? You want to take a stab at Jackie Q? Now that you know. Is that Whip It? No. Rose Byrne no. in Get Him to the Greek. Oh, yeah. She sings about her butthole. She sure does. And then Shannon Mullins. Any idea now? Shannon Mullins no idea that is melissa mccarthy and my beloved the heat all right ah next one richard nixon julie gianni and nell harper lee nell harper lee is either katherine keener or um sandra bullock i'm gonna guess that it's katherine keener and say into the wild no not into the wild Mm. well then the richard nixons are um anthony hopkins um, Leah Schreiber. Mm. Mm. I can't think of either of them starring with those people. Leah Schreiber, I can't think of being like the first person you would pull. Well, unless it's 
It can't be the butler. Wait, let's re-examine your your logic on that. <laughs> Wiley so of Schreiber. Not... Wiley of Schreiber? Right. What movie am I for? Oh, is it the Manchurian Candidate? No, no. Who does Lee F. Schreiber play in The Butler? He plays Richard Nixon. No, he plays Lyndon Johnson. Never mind. Uh, the Richard Nixon in that movie is... Oh, uh, uh, John Cusack. Yes. So John Cusack and either Catherine Keener or um, Sandra Bullock. Right. And then your other character is Julie Gianni. Uh, I don't know if that's going to help me. I don't know if I'll get there with that. So John Cusack. Right. And one of those two. What other movies was he in that would have had a SAG Ensemble nomination? Um, huh. It's not I mean, a movie with like a 20-person ensemble. It's like, don't think of that. Right. But it's definitely a movie that like didn't, miss best picture by too much i don't think certainly there were indicators that it was close katherine keener or sandra bullock with john cusack right i know that this is gonna oh it's being john malkovich yes correct duh correct julie gianni is cameron diaz in vanilla sky ah yes all right next one your characters are connie Aiden Shaw and Phyllis Stein. Phyllis Stein is Andrea Martin. Connie is um, Andrea Martin in Hedwig. Connie is Nia Vartalos in the great Connie and Carla. Um, It's my big fat Greek wedding. It's my big fat Greek wedding. Aiden Shaw is, of course, the loathsome uh, uh, Aiden from Sex and the City, one of the worst boyfriends ever. John Corbett. Yes. Okay. Good one. You got that one as fast as I thought you would. Okay. Very good. Um, Nelson Mandela, Catherine Johnson, and Pensatucky. Uh, Pensatucky is um, uh, Tamron Mann? Taryn Manning. Taryn Manning, sorry. Um, And uh, uh, the first one is Terrence Howard. This is Hustle and Flow. Wow! I thought I was going to fool you on the Nelson Mandela, uh, because this... He played Nelson Mandela in the Jennifer Hudson Winnie Mandela movie. Very good, yes. And then who is Katherine Johnson? Uh, Catherine Johnson is um, Taraji in uh, Hidden Figures. Very good. Yes. Okay. Two more. Cleve Jones, Joan Jett, and Deep Throat. This is um, Into the Wild because Cleve Jones is Emil Hirsch in Milk. Yes. Who is Joan Jett? Joan Jett is uh, Kristen Stewart in The Runaways. In The Runaways. And then Deep Throat? Ooh. That is, is that Hal Holbrook? In All the President's Men. Yes, Hal Holbrook played Deep Throat in All the President's Men. Okay, last one. John Proctor, Lady Macbeth, and Suzanne Stone. Uh, this is nine, because John Proctor is Daniel Day-Lewis for The Crucible. Lady Macbeth is Marion Cotillard. And Suzanne Stone is Nicole Kidman in To Die For. Very good. Well done. Well played. Good game, Chris. All right. Back Woo. to the station agent. What else have we not talked about? We talked about Sundance. 
We talked about SAG. We talked about Patty. I mean, we kind of talked about Tom McCarthy and talking about what we like about the movie, too. I mean, I will say people doubted Spotlight. This is me just bragging for a minute. People <laughs> doubted Spotlight's up, like, chances that year. And I felt like I was the one of maybe three people predicting it. I... And when the Oscar open Oscar ceremony opened with Spotlight winning its original screenplay category, I was like, okay, cool. We're going to bookend the ceremony with this. Got it. You nailed it. I I will say I was fiercely uh, loyal to I thought Spotlight was going to win Best Picture throughout most of that season. When I saw it in Toronto, I'm just like, this has the stuff. When the Oscar nominations came out and it was like, what did it get? Like seven nominations or something like that? Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, this is exactly the way it's been going these days where – you know, Gravity gets the most nominations, and then, uh, you know, something smaller, 12 Years a Slave, ends up winning Best Picture. Or, like, I, f- I just felt like this is um, of the type of the way things are going. And I was. It's just also the way the preferential ballot seems to shake out. Like, it goes yes. to the movie that, like, is going to leave the fewest number of people with complaints. Yes. Um, and then as it which got. Which isn't to, like, disregard what is great about Spotlight, but. Yeah. But as it got closer and closer to the Oscars, I was like, I think my pessimist brain kind of uh, interfered with me. And I was just like, ugh. Like, Inuritu won the Golden Globe and the Revenant won the whatever. And I knew the gold, and I knew in my head, I was just like, don't think of the Golden Globes. They matter less and less. Um, and, and then I think by the time it had gotten to Oscar Day, I was like, it's going to be the fucking Revenant. Like, guys, just like... <laughs> give up just like it's going to be the revenant whatever even though spotlight had won the sag ensemble and gave that like very sort of like this is what batters now uh speech about uh, the the reporters in spotlight and what they did and that is like the perfect tone to set and even then i was like it's going to be fucking stupid the revenant and <laughs> Up until, and then he won Best Director when I thought, like, if George Miller wins Best Director for Mad Max, then Spotlight's going to win Best Picture. And that didn't happen. And I was so pleasantly surprised when Morgan Freeman read uh, Spotlight as Best Picture that year. And so I will say, I lost my nerve, and you did not, and kudos to you for that. Everybody liked that movie. It's Even a great people movie. Who respected the craft of the Revenant did not like that movie. It's a great movie. Spotlight is a great movie. Okay. Um flipping through my notes, Bucket Hat, very first note. Um I said Peter Dinklage plays his bemusement so well, just his sort of just like his his semi his just like puzzlement but also like revulsion at just like other people as a general category. Um I forgot how great Peter Dinklage is in this movie like to your point of his bemusement with other people like the way that we talk about like this movie could easily be a cliche so can this character who is like you know a crank uh, a grump yeah like not into other people and for like a valid reason for the way that he's treated and met by other people but like it could be such a cliche and he's so interesting to watch the whole time in a way that feels like Yep. He's actively navigating yes. his emotions, his each of his interactions processes. rather than yes. just being a shutdown curmudgeon, you know? Yep. Um, I wrote down Bobby Cannavale's aggressive friendliness, but also he's never been, to me, 
cuter in a movie than in this film. I think he's so adorable in this movie. Uh, what else? What else? Michelle Williams. Oh, I think this might have been the first time I had ever seen Michelle Williams in something where I was like, oh, like she's she wants to be like a for real actress. Because I think like for as good as Dick is and for uh, obviously we hold reverence for halloween h2o um but those genres both seemed like oh these are things that like tv a tv actress would do right uh to you know she's in a comedy get the kind of like backhanded uh surprise that was met with her brokeback mountain performance that people were like oh i guess she's a real actress and it's like fuck off i mean just because she's on a teenage soap does not mean also she was always my favorite character actress on dawson's creek she was w- absolutely busy phillips too but busy phillips comes in late on that show busy phillips comes That's in maybe like years. yes but like all throughout the entirety of dawson's creek i was always like jen was my girl and i always was just like michelle williams is so good on this show and she's playing the character that we're not quote-unquote supposed to like i remember there was right. a thing on um MTV, it might have even been like MTV Spring Break or whatever, where they had the cast of Dawson's Creek on um, right after the first season. And so it's just like the phenomenon is high or whatever. And it was the four of them sort of being interviewed. And she says, Michelle says at one point, she's just like talking to the the audience and she's like, I know you guys hate me. I know. Listen, I hear it all the time. I know you guys hate me. She's just like, just like go with it and, you know, try to get on board with Jen. But she's just like, I know that everybody wants Dawson and Joey to be together and I know you guys hate me. And I think as that show went along and the fan base sort of became more and more frustrated with Dawson and became like Joey and Pacey shippers or whatever. But like, even while that was the focus of the fan base, I think I was still sort of like, whatever. It makes me sound like I was alt, like an alt Dawson's Creek fan, whatever. But just like, (laughs) I don't know. I was gay and I loved Jen. Like, I feel like that's a thing that happened with most people. I was definitely gay. And I was like, why do we need to pit women against each other? I like both of them. Dawson is terrible. Dawson is terrible. Um... Indies from 2002 to 2006 being a mood, I wrote down. Oh, (laughs) I wrote down Peter Dinklage in this movie was messenger bag inspo for me at the time, which is true. It was very... like uh, the aughts were when the messenger bag made, you know, uh, uh, a stylistic comeback. Hell yeah, I still have one. So, yeah. Um, Same. Also, the girl Uh, at the end in the classroom who says, what about blimps? I fucking love her. She's so like, what about blimps? <laughs> just, and it comes at the perfect time where like the other kid was so mean about like his height or whatever, um, asking him questions. And then this little girl who you expect is also going to be mean because the face on her is just like classic mean sixth grader. And it's just like, oh, God. Um, and then she's just like, turns out to be very like curious about transportation. But even still in that mean little sixth grade girl way where she just says, what about blimps? But he's so happy about it. Indeed. Anyway. All right. I, that whole school scene is like obviously there for like the reason of like showing his progression of putting himself out there. But it is very stressful to me because kids are fucking assholes. Yes. So like I didn't want them to be mean to Finn. Um, is there any yeah. part of you? This will be the last thing and then we can go into the IMDb game. Is there any part of you that watched this movie and even just entertained the thought of oh, I could live in a little abandoned train station. Like, I could live, I could, you know, 
try and like gut an, an old if train car. I have car. a food truck outside of my little train station home that serves me coffee, hot dogs, and muffins. Absolutely. Okay. Because then my you wouldn't have diet. to like you wouldn't have to like forage. It does look like it would be very cold in the winter, and like New Jersey gets cold winters, y'all. Like, yeah, um, it's right off of uh, a, a lake or some body of water. Yeah, it's gonna get cold in the winter. So I'm, I'm happy that we saw him in the summertime when it was at least uh, fine. But it does not look like it was when it was Jersey terribly well nice, insulated. You know. Yes. I'd also say since we talked about Sundance this episode, we should also hype. If it's not out there yet, it should be out soon we're gonna be uh doing a little bonus recap of sundance this year yeah we are yep chris so look forward to that if it's not already out depending on uh, when this episode hits yes exactly yeah should be fun okay uh would we like to transition to uh the imdb game would we like to change tracks ah into the imdb oh game? Do you have a transfer ticket for us to be able to do the IMTB game? Yes, I, uh, I'm i in business class, so please. Uh, uh, okay, okay. Well, then I should mention every week we end our episodes with the IMTB game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Yeah. Yeah, man. The IMDb game. All right. Why don't you give to me first? Oh, the, uh, you have a plan, I'm guessing. Oh, no, I'm just remembering. I actually, for the first, for the rare time, I remember the order we went in last time. So I'm like, well, we'll do the opposite this time. <laughs> Normally, my memory lasts about a day and a half, and that's a killer for, for our purposes here. Okay. Sure, 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 sure. Okay, fine. Uh, then I went down the Patricia Clarkson route, went with one of her other 2003 co-stars playing, we think, her son in All the Real <laughs> Girls. I have for you, Mr. Paul Schneider. I'm excited for the gay remake of this called All the Real Girls. All the Real Girls? Yes. All the Real Squirrels. All the Real Squirrels. That should be a Drag Race rusical. All the real squirrels, and they uh, and they do the plot of all the real girls, and the audience the, the queens fight over who gets to be Patricia Clarkson. Yes. Meanwhile, the Zoe Deschanel is the one that's like the actually good role, that they, <laughs> right? You know, right. Win the challenge for exactly, exactly. All right. So, who are you giving me? Sorry, Paul Schneider. Paul Schneider. Okay. Any television? Interesting actor. Any television? No television. Okay. Is one of them all the real girls? It is all the real girls. Okay, all right. Yeah, Paul Schneider, a character actor who's in some stuff, but I'm trying, like, it's trying to think of like the prominent ones. Stuff. He's also very handsome. He's very handsome. I mean, I love him in Bright Star. I don't know if enough people have seen that movie, even though it is perfect. Uh, but I'm going to guess Bright Star. Bright Star, correct. Okay. He was like, if Bright Star had been more uh, embraced or pain, paid any attention to, he could have been nominated for that. He won yeah. LA Critics, I think. For Bright I'd Star? I'd have to look at my spreadsheet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, look that up. Now that you've like made these phenomenal spreadsheets... I think these two are pretty uh, quintessential. Paul Schneider is definitely in this movie. 
um, remaining guesses. And you don't have any wrong guesses yet. Okay. No, I lied. He won National Society of Film Critics. Unbelievable. For Bright Star. Tied with Christoph Waltz. Good for them. All right. I ultimately think he's way too far down the cast list in The Family Stone, but I might have to burn a guess on that eventually if I want to get years, but I'm not there yet. I'm still no wrong guesses. Um, Same thing with The Way We Go. I feel like he's too far down a very long cast list. Patricia Clarkson would have been good in The Way We Go. I like that movie. I love that movie. I know a lot of people hate it, but I love it. They're allowed to be wrong. They're allowed to be wrong. Okay. Um, I'm going to guess Lars and the Real Girl. Lars and the Real Girl, correct. You are on a great streak with Paul Schneider. You, you've you had a couple uh, really strong weeks at IMDb game. Thank you. All right. My problem is now the only other roles for Paul Schneider I can think of are... Parks and Recreation and the Newsroom. So those no are TV. not. All right, I am just gonna say I'm gonna guess. Oh, but I don't want to burn. I really want to try and get this right now. All right, this is another one where he's probably like sixth or seventh down the line. But I'm gonna say Elizabeth Town. Joe Reed, congratulations yeah! on your second perfect score in a row. Fuck yeah. He's not that score, right? prominent you, you in You got Gary Town. Sinise perfectly last week, right? Yeah, I think so. I think I did. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Hell yeah. All and right. You almost did it for Anne Hathaway. All right. Well, now I will ride this high throughout the rest of this possibly hellish week. Fingers crossed it's not. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed by the time you listen to this episode, um, my beloved Buffalo Bills will be in the Super Bowl. But I don't want to jinx it, so uh, probably not. Probably not. Probably won't happen. I'm going to just keep fucking with you. I'm going to send you um, audio of Goodbye Horses. You're just so... Every time I say talk about the Bills, you send something silent for the Lambsy to me. Yes. All right. Um, Ah, for you, I have gone, as I often do, down the well of the director, Tom McCarthy. We sort of mentioned this in passing, but his 2011 film, Win Win, is so good. And it's like, you think... You think you know to the degree to which you're going to like or not like Win-Win. It's about high school wrestling, and he's a wrestling coach. And the, the the teen is very sort of like, he's a very odd person, just like a very strange person. But again, it's the Tom McCarthy magic, where it's just like, you think it's going to be the bad version of what this is? And it's like, no, it's just decent people like interacting with each other in really interesting and kind of lovely ways and i think it's my favorite tom mccarthy movie i i should watch it again it's the one i've seen uh the least probably um and i definitely owe it another watch maybe also i should watch the visitor i should watch all the watching all the tom mccarthy movies is a great thing to do if you're bummed about the state of humanity because like every like <laughs> everybody in those movies is so good okay i haven't seen the cobbler so uh let's just uh let's just move so the most cobbler. underrated performance in this most underrated movie is amy ryan playing 
Paul Giamatti's wife. She's like, I think we've had this conversation. She's sensational. And it's so could have easily just been just like, oh, she's the wife. She, you know, chimes in every once in a while and whatever. But the movie really invites her in and allows her to be something. She has like a like huge affinity for Bon Jovi in a way that I find so charming um, in that movie. <laughs> but somehow or another, we've never done Amy Ryan for the IMDb game, which I think is crazy. So I'm going to have you do that now. Amy Ryan. Okay. Um, is win-win on there. It is. She's got to be like second or third build. She usually yeah. doesn't get the highest billing and stuff. So yep, yep, yep. I figured. Uh, Gone Baby Gone, obviously. Uh, yep, her Oscar nomination, Gone Baby Gone. Very good. Um, mm, I'm trying to think. She plays a lot of wives, unfortunately. Great actress. Um, No TV, right? Because she's done like... The Office, In Treatment. Right, no uh, television. Other stuff. Right, okay, no television. Right, no television. Um, what about uh, Bridge of Spies? She's the wife in Bridge of Spies. Uh, good guess, but no, not Bridge of Spies. Mm. Birdman? She's one of my favorite performances in that movie. Yes, correct. Birdman is correct. Okay. She's his wife, right? Ex-wife, Ex-wife, right, 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 because he's, uh, yeah, 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 yes. It's, like, totally could have been taken out of the movie, but I think that movie is better because of her scenes. Um, yeah, I think that's right. It has been a long time since I saw Birdman. All right, so you are also okay. three for three, so uh, let's see if you can do it. Let's see if you can pull it off. I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think. Uh, well, no, I already got a wrong answer. Oh, right, because you already guessed Bridge of Spies. Sorry. Well, you still yeah. have three right answers. Um, Can't take that away from you. She is secretly in Capote, but I think she's probably like 12th build, even though she's really good in it. So I don't think it's going to be that. I don't remember her in Capote. She plays um, Chris Cooper's wife. Oh. She, like is a powerhouse in all of the scenes that she has just like being a good hostess in their home. Nice. Um, but her nice. energy is really great. Um, okay. Here's uh, sorry, not to interrupt you. Here's one that is not one of them, but I just saw you can count on me recently and I did not notice her in this movie. And apparently, yep. She is the mother in the first scene of you can count on me. I totally missed that. Totally missed it. That's not going to be it though. Um, oh wait. Oh, she's what she's their mother who dies in the car crash. Yes, she is. I must have just blocked that out because I remember that scene, of course. Only thing that's really jumping to me that I remember her in is Dan in real life. So I'm going to say Dan in real life. Unfortunately, no. Uh, Not Dan in real life. But it was that same year. It was 2007. Oh. Okay. So... This is the, also the same year of her Oscar nomination for Gone Baby Gone. Yep, big year. Big year for her. <sighs> Have I seen this movie? It's very possible it's some small thing that I never no, saw. No, you definitely saw it. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm almost positive you saw it. Was this movie not Oscar nominated? It was not. But it did. It was sort of a uh, a presence around that season. Mm, okay, so, oh, um, she is 
also in uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Yes, Sydney Lumet's Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. She is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's wife, and Tomei is the girlfriend. I think that's right. Or is uh, Tomei's definitely she's, she's somewhere in Tomei is definitely the one he ends up sleeping with uh, in the. Movie. I mean, the movie opens with them. Yeah, fucking. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think that's uh, she's the mistress in that. Or movie. maybe me. Because Ethan Hawke is the brother. I forget. Hold on. Let me look. All right. Looking this up right now. Just so uh, we can avoid uh, whatever. Uh, Amy Ryan is someone named Martha. So she clearly uh, inspired a superhero in this. uh wikipedia is not telling me somebody all right somebody t- tweet us and tell us yeah whose wife Amy what role Ryan does she is play in that movie? movie yeah fascinating my audio is clicking all over the place we gotta finish this now before i guess my computer explodes or something okay all right that's our episode chris well done on the imdb game uh good job you as well buddy all right uh honestly highest recommendation go seek out the station agent somewhere um, even if you have to pay a rental for it, it is so worth it. It's such a good movie. I always, I, I, I struggle with how uh, familiar people are these days to a movie like The Station Agent, which felt like such a prominent indie movie back then. But I'm just like, oh right, it's almost 20 years old. <laughs> like, uh, maybe yeah, 20 years ago, it was Justice for the Station Agent, right? And maybe now people, uh, you know, the the children need to know about the Station Agent. Go watch the Station Agent; it's wonderful. All right. It's a lovely 89 minutes of your day. Exactly. All right. That is our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter saying thank God for model trains. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got the idea for the big train. Um, <laughs> at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also on Letterboxd under the same uh, name. One of the greatest lines in movie history. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D in both of those occasions. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts, uh, now including Spotify. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please uh, walk the right of way with us. Walk those train tracks with us and tell other people how much fun it is. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Did you make-